Our scripture reading for today is Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing as you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Well, hey, good to be with you this morning. Um, you know, as we, um, we started last week, a new series called Rebuild, and looking through the book of Nehemiah, and as we opened up the book, we found the people of God living in a time in which their world was completely turned upside down. Uh, they were living uh, as a remnant, a small group scattered across, across the lands, and they're, and they're trying to live out the purposes of God. Uh, they're trying to live out uh, the purposes of God in order that God might be glorified. And in one way or another, though we are in different times, uh, in one way or another, you, you can almost say this, our world has been turned upside down, right? The last 20 months. And, you know, here we are as a community. Uh, we are trying to seek out, to live out the purposes of God that we might display the glory of God. And really, we're coming to this book asking the question, what might we learn? What might this say into our present moment? And, and today, we actually see this. We see each Christian is called to take faithful risks with bold confidence. Each Christian is called to take faithful risks with bold confidence. And I don't know about you, but um, I like predictability. <laughs> I, like, uh, I like, you know, things to be comfortable. I like to just sort of stay in my corner. And yet, time and time again, when you think about and you read through the Scriptures, you see God enlist His people to take faithful risks to participate with him in what he's up to in this world. And we see this God give those people bold confidence in order to take those risks. And so, as we kind of unpack Nehemiah chapter 2 today, really two questions. How do you take faithful risks? And then secondly, where do you get this bold confidence? So let's pray and we'll get in. Uh, Father, we uh, ask you this morning for your help. 
as we approach uh, our day and this moment, and we want to be a people who faithfully live out your purposes here. We just ask you for help today. We pray your spirit through your word would lead us and guide us and would empower us to be your people in this place. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So how do you take faithful risks? You know, I wonder, uh, I wish I could grab Nehemiah before he goes into the presence of the king in the story, because I'd love to ask him, Nehemiah, what do you think the odds are that this goes well? (laughs) What are the odds? You know, last week we heard, as the story opened, that that Nehemiah heard news that Jerusalem was in trouble and shame. The, the walls had been ripped down, and he's emotionally undone by it. And he can't simply not do something, but enter in. And it just so happens, we learned at the end of last week, that he's a cupbearer to the king. Um, a cupbearer. This was the one who would make sure the wine was, first of all, good for the king to drink. Don't give any of the you know, bad wine. But secondly, that it wasn't poisoned, right? And so here's, here's Nehemiah. He's in this trusted position to the most powerful man at that time in the world. And here he is. He's heard about Jerusalem. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to go into the king's presence and he's going to ask the king for a huge favor. <laughs> a really big favor. He's going to ask him for permission and assistance to rebuild. And, you know, in verse 2, Nehemiah tells us his emotional state as he enters in. He says, I was very much afraid. And he had a reason to be. If you know some of the backstory, here's here's what's going on. In the previous book, Ezra, we learned that there was an initial wave, an initial campaign to go back to rebuild Jerusalem. And while they were there rebuilding, there was opposition. And those that opposed the building, opposed God's people, wrote a letter to this king and said, hey, if these, if these people are, are given permission, if they continue with this work, guess what? You, they're going to rebel against you. And so the king, in Ezra 4.21, this king issued this order. This is what he said. Now, issue an order to these men to stop work so this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. And now, Nehemiah is going to go right into the presence of this king and ask him to change his policy. And think about this for a moment. Nehemiah is going to go and ask this. What, what might the king think? The king might think, okay, Nehemiah is plotting against me. He might lose his position. He might lose the trust of this king. He might be charged with sedition or treason. And why is this? Because he's not in a position of power. He's vulnerable. He's not the one calling the shots in the world. Yet this is what he steps into. Uh, let, me, let me submit to you today. Um, you live in Madison. You, you know this more than probably most of the nation, but we live in a post-Christian secular West. And here's what that means. It simply means where things are trending in our culture is Christians are not going to call the shots. We're just not. 
And that's okay. It means this. You and I are going to find ourselves in places where you're going to be vulnerable. And yet even there, as we see with Nehemiah, we're called to take faithful risks. So how do we take it? I want us to see three things Nehemiah does here. And I'll say this up front. I think many of us perhaps maybe live out one or two of these, but I'll say almost none of us live out all three because they seem like they compete, but actually the way Nehemiah lives it out, it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And here's what they are. Nehemiah prays as if it's all up to God. But secondly, Nehemiah plans as if it's all up to him. And thirdly, he leaves the results to God. He prays as if it's all up to God. Secondly, he plans as if it's all up to him. And thirdly, he leaves the results to God. So let's look at the first one. He prays as if it's all up to God. You know, at the end of the last chapter, we left Nehemiah praying and fasting. And this chapter opens up with a calendar date. Um, and we know this, it's, it's in the month of Nisan, which is in the spring. And that means it's been approximately four months since he heard the news. And what has he been doing since he heard the news? He's been praying and he's been fasting. We said this last week, but Nehemiah begins with prayer. He doesn't just begin there, he actually continues there. Early, later on in the account, um, the king actually shows his card, says he's interested, um, and before Nehemiah is going to share what he wants, in, at the end of verse 4 it says this, so I pray to the God of heaven. He's right there in the midst, about to enter into this huge risk, and right there in the midst of it, he shoots up an arrow prayer. Nehemiah, in the midst of all that he's doing, as he takes a faithful risk, he's praying as if it's all up to God. But secondly, he's planning. He's planning. Uh, Nehemiah, throughout this account, he does some things that are incredible. They are cunning and they are wise. He is looking at his circumstances and he is moving through it with, I don't know, skill. Uh, let, let's look at some of these. Look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, it begins this way. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. There it is. Then I was very much afraid. Notice how it says, I had not been sad in his presence before. He had heard this news four months ago. He was ripped up on the inside. And yet, the first time he heard the news, he didn't go marching into the king with it. Nehemiah is thinking about timing. Um, you know, one commentator noted that, kind of speculated that there might have been a special festival that would have actually made the king more apt to be open to a request like this. Uh, you know what it's like, right? When, you're, when your boss is in a bad mood, you know when they're in a good mood, you only go when, when, when they're in a good mood, right? Nehemiah is thinking. He's, he's cunning. He doesn't just barge in. But notice too, 
in verse 3 about his, um, when the king says, what's wrong? Listen to what he says. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He begins with the phrase, long live the king. He does not want the king to think that he's going to try to overthrow him or to rebel against him. But secondly, he also seeks something that would elicit the king's sympathy. You know, back in the ancient Near East, there was a deep respect for ancestral tombs. And Nehemiah has been thinking, how might I get favor with this king? Let me elicit some sympathy. He will understand what it's like to be in my shoes. He's cunning. He's been planning. And the king says, what do you, um, in verse 4, what do you want? <laughs> and then he prays. And then look at what he says in verse 5. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And then look at verse 6. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And let's just finish this out, because this is remarkable. We'll, I'll comment on this in a moment, but look at verses 7 and 8. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and this is where, just for pause, Nehemiah goes for broke. He goes for all of it. Listen to what he asks. Let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may be given to me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I'd asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Notice what Nehemiah does throughout this. He doesn't go for broke right away, does he? He begins with a simple request. Let me have permission to go rebuild. And then he sees he has favor, and then he goes for broke. And you can tell he's been planning because he knows what it's going to take to rebuild the city. And so he asks for permission to use the king's forest so he can rebuild a house for him and other people in the city. Think about that. He's been plotting, he's been planning. He's been praying. Let me pause here for a moment. I think one of the questions we've got to ask is, how do I know, like, what might be the faithful risk that I might need to take? Uh, there's a lot that could be said here. But let me offer you this observation made by another pastor, which I thought was helpful. Nehemiah's prayer and planning, do you know where he goes? It's all based on his grief. Think about this for a moment. Nehemiah, the reason why he's undone is because Jerusalem is in trouble and shame and he, his heart is grieved. Listen, let me ask you, where is your heart grieved? Where is it grieved? The world's been turned upside down this season. What is grieving you? How might that fit into the great plan of what God is doing in this world? 
This is what Nehemiah does. He prays into his grief. He plans out his grief. And his faithful risk pays off. And notice his evaluation at the end of verse 8. He says this, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. Listen to that. Uh, Nehemiah, at the end of the day, what does he say? He says, it's because God's hand was upon me. He prays as if it's all up to God. He plans as if it's all up to him, but he leaves the result to God. And listen, um, I said at the beginning, we normally don't live these out, these three. Uh, And uh, this week I've been thinking about it. Like some of us, let's be honest, um, we are incredibly uh, self-reliant. You know, I know Redeemer City oftentimes is made up a lot of very high achievers. And that's fine. That's actually good. But oftentimes, for those kinds of people, we think if anything is going to get done in this world, it's up to us, right? And when things go well, and when we succeed, maybe we paint it over with, uh, hey, praise God, but underneath, what we really think is, I'm pretty good. God is actually really privileged to have me on his team. It's not how Nehemiah goes, is it? But there's also others of us, right? We, um, there's other side. Others we don't plan. We kind of think in this world, hey, whatever will be, will be. My choices, my decisions, my actions don't really matter. And I'll say this, sometimes we do this and you're just way too spiritual. You just pray and you see a need, but you don't move forward in that need. You may pray a lot, but you take no initiative. Or sometimes we pray and we take an initiative, but we don't think through things very well. We don't plan, and therefore, the things that need to move forward don't move forward. And this account has a completely different view of our world. That prayer actually does something. That our planning actually means something. But ultimately, it is all up to God. And listen, in our cultural moment, <clears throat> it's common to think that God is not involved in the affairs of this world, as if the things we pray to the God of heaven actually affect things down here. But that is a completely different script than what we see here, is it not? Notice what we see here. Think about big picture here. God working through his people's griefs the things that grieve them, and as they pray, and as they plan, and in the end, look at how God intervenes. He uses a pagan king, his resources, to rebuild Jerusalem. So two final thoughts as we think more about this dynamic of how do we take faithful risk. Think about this way. Alan Hirsch, this is like last year at some point, He's a missiologist. Basically, he studies various movements of God. Last year, he put it something like this. He says, if you want to know what God is up to in this world, if you want to join him, he put it this way, start with your neighborhood, your workplace, and ask the question, what's not going well? And then find someone else there who also thinks the same thing and do something. Start there. You know, in one sense, like the update that was just here, you know, Nicola 
going around and just listening. She's just listening to the, the people that are doing some great things in this neighborhood. We're just listening. What might it mean for us to partner? But secondly, one of the things, we didn't talk about this, but I want to point this out. It's remarkable how much Nehemiah gets from the king. I mean, he goes big, and he evens ends up with more than what he asked. Um, you know, sometimes my kids, um, I'm going to tell you something this morning, kids. Sometimes you ask for things from me, you don't ask for enough. <laughs> you know, like sometimes they'll be like, hey, Dad, can we watch uh, this movie, or can we get some popcorn, because I have some money for this. And sometimes they'll ask for a certain amount. In the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, they could have had more. <laughs> Not all the time, all right? <laughs> but sometimes they could have had so much more. Think about this. You cannot... Um, God has all the resources, Right? I think one pastor put it this way, like, it's not like God has a budget and you get a little sliver. We're not, like, battling over a budget here. God is completely bountiful and generous in what he gives. The last week I, I quoted that hymn, it's appropriate here, where it's this note of, like, thou art coming to a king, large petitions to him bring, for his presence and power are much. None can ever ask too much. As you pray into your grieving, perhaps, as you plan out what you might need, ask big. What might he do? All right, lastly, where do you get this bold confidence? Um, you know, <laughs> have you ever watched one of those home improvement shows? I'm sure you all have, right? There's one, you remember years ago, the Extreme Makeover Home Edition? It was the one that had Tyler with a really large megaphone on it that would say, move that bus. Maybe I'm just old and you all don't, have never watched it, but he was really annoying, but it was a wonderful show. <laughs> but there was a, um, uh, in that show, basically the premise was they meet with the family, the family tells them what they want done, and they, they send the family off for a week, or sometimes maybe it was two weeks, and then, you know, they put the big bus out there, right, and like... But there's always a moment before that where it seemed like every time it was like, are we going to get it done, right? Is the house going to be finished? There's always this deadline, and the question is, are they going to make it? And if you watch that show, you know every time it gets done, right? So even when you watch the show, you're just like, yeah, you're just playing with my emotions right now. It's going to get done. The bus is going to move, and they're going to be fine, you know? Like, you know it's going to get done. <sighs> Nehemiah gets his bold confidence from knowing that God is going to get his work done. Uh, let's go back for a moment to last week in his prayer. Verse 8, listen to what he says. If you are unfaithful, this is, he's speaking about God's promise here. This is God speaking. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Uh, Nehemiah, his entire play here, his entire hand, the risk he's doing, it's all geared around the fact that God is going to get it done. He's made a promise. He will fulfill his word. 
even if it takes a pagan king to do it. He's not limited by that. And ultimately, right, the fulfillment of the rebuilding of the people of God for the glory of God is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Listen to what Tim Keller writes. He says this, This Nehemiah is pointing to an ultimate Nehemiah. This is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate one who was in the palace, and he was completely safe. And he left all of that to go out into danger to identify with his people. Jesus Christ, the ultimate Nehemiah, identified with us, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life, to make us citizens of the ultimate city. And here's what it means. If you know him, guess what? You're enlisted in this great project. One pastor put it this way, he's not just renewing a city in rubble. He's renewing everything, body, soul, spirit, relationships, neighborhoods, and eventually the whole world. If you're his, he's enlisted you. And recall to take faithful risks with a bold confidence that he's going to get it done. Let's pray. Father, we are um, humbled this morning uh, that you would take uh, imperfect people and call them by your grace to be a part of what you're doing in this world. Help us as we pray. For the sake of your glory, for the sake of your Son, and for the world's good, we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.